0: thing I really just want to go off of what just came forth um, only thing in my heart this morning was Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 and 2 and Wesley just dropped it so but what was in me all morning during worship is just like I don't even want to speak about this because I need this so bad and God forbid that we presume to have something that we really don't I mean that's religion religion is presumptive in nature it presumes because i have a doctrinal checklist or can recite the scriptures really well and check them off that i got it and the lord says beware <laughs> beware of that joseph beware of that my people don't don't check it off and write it off you know let this thing be grafted into your life into your very being into your nature But it's easy to look at Hebrews 11, all these saints, and kind of prop them up as men and women who are superheroes of the faith. And God says, well, not really. And I love the passage in James chapter 5. He says, I want you to take the prophets as an example of suffering and patience for the promises of God to be fulfilled. And he says, I want to remind you that even Elijah was a man like us wow he wasn't a superhero he was a man like us he was a mortal man a weak broken human being even less than we are by covenant because the spirit wasn't in him (laughs) right and he was a man like we are and look what god did and same with every one of these men and women saints of old testament in hebrews 11 they were men and women like we are they were weak. They were in need. They were frail. And the, the Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 tells us what moved them to live the way they did. You know, we just think it was some grandiose thing and maybe a cakewalk until the end of their life, but it wasn't. And the scripture just simply says what moved them wasn't Wrote. It wasn't tradition, religion. It wasn't good ideas. They didn't have fancy lifestyles and fancy models of uh, serving God. It's one thing they had. It tells us in verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 12, it says they fixed their eyes on Jesus. They saw him. They beheld him. It even says of Moses that Moses endured and stood the test of time. Seeing him who is invisible, he beheld the glory of God and it kept that man through every season of life. And this is the one anchor for our souls. It's it's the revelation of Jesus, the knowledge of him and his worth. That's just what was in my heart this morning. I just wanted to add that one passage. These men and women saw something that I need to see. That's it. They didn't have a fancy idea as to how to make this thing work. They beheld him and heard his word and followed at the expense of their lives. They saw something that overtook them. They saw a future day. They saw the coming of the kingdom. They saw both the first and second coming. They were laboring for it. Many of them saw by revelation the day we live in. And they live. you, you see the life they live to labor for the times we live in. That's what it says. And I don't live anything like they live. And I'm in the day they labored for. And they are the examples. Therefore, having so great a cloud of witnesses, the writer, he says, look back at them because the life they lived was for the day you live in and be sure you're following their example, casting aside everything that would hinder this kingdom. They were living for the kingdom of God. Now, this stuff's just a wake-up call for us in this hour. I, I got to have this. I got to have this anchor for my soul. I got to see what they saw in order to live like they lived. End of story. What well, they didn't muster up their strength again. They were men and women like we are. They were weak. They needed to see something that was far greater than them or this age that would move them and prompt them. And so, Lord, we just say yes to that. I want to be moved. I want to be prompted. We can't do this on our own. As was just said, we need great grace. But His grace is sufficient. He's going to do this. He's going to bring it about in the midst of the church. This faith, this apostolic faith, right? Our forefathers and mothers who labored by revelation, by faith in Jesus, faith in the future. So we're going we're gonna to labor. We're participating in their labors. That's what Jesus said, John chapter 4. Amen. Well, we're going to continue. We're going to look into John 15. I've kind of been mentioning John 15 for three or four weeks now. We're going to finally get into some of John 15. And before we go there, just want to give a little intro. If you remember, the part of the first uh, message I brought on this series was out of Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist's first words. We just kind of started there. And Mark's gospel says that John's first words were the beginning of the gospel and that we need to hear that if we want to understand the gospel the kingdom of God we need to hear John's message because he was sent as a forerunner to prepare the way for the Messiah and his kingdom and some of his first words Matthew chapter 3 and Luke chapter 3 both Matthew and Luke take note of this John Shares this statement and it's very connected to John 15. So we want to hear what was recorded here. Matthew chapter 3, verse 10, and Luke chapter 3, I believe, verse 9. John was speaking to the religious leaders, Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he says to them some very striking statements we looked at. And he calls them a brood of vipers, and he He says, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I mean, that's intense. What what a message. I mean, they travel out to the wilderness to hear probably a grandiose message or just kind of speculate what's this guy all about. Is he the Messiah or is he, you know, one of the prophets raised from the dead? We don't know. But he's shaking up the nation. What does he have to say? And so they come out to see John and hear his word. And that was his invitation. He says, hey, glad you came. Very offensive to them, of course, and he says this to them. He says, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees, therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Very key passage, and so John is saying, hey, the axe is being laid at the root of legalism, In religion, in self righteousness, in traditions of men that have kept the people of God from God. He says there's an axe being laid at the root of this system that's been growing in the earth that they were predominantly responsible for as leaders. Is promoting religion and tradition that uh, Matthew's gospel in chapter 15 says invalidates. Or renders powerless the message of God, the message of His kingdom. That's striking that this religious system was promoting a message, but not promoting God and His purposes, but promoting a word, a message, ideologies in the name of God that wasn't from God. What a dilemma to be in! And that generation was in that dilemma. That's the the dilemma. The environment that Jesus came to, his first coming. And he came to lay an axe at that because the righteousness of men, I'm sorry, the desire of man, we read this last week in James chapter 1, cannot accomplish the righteousness of God. He says legalism, the desire and passion of man, the works of the flesh, cannot bring about the righteousness of God. The religious spirit cannot produce the righteousness of God. And so this message of root in trees and fruit, it's the same message of John 15. It carries over. Now, Matthew 3, root, trees, and fruit, is about those lost, right? They needed to repent and be saved. And so the message in Matthew 3 is repentance unto bearing the fruit of salvation, that none can come unless they repent. None can be born again. You must repent and believe this gospel again, the beginning of John's ministry. So Matthew 3 was repentance unto bearing fruit. John 15, Jesus uses very similar language, only he's not speaking to the Pharisees, right? He's speaking to his disciples. John 13 to 17 is called the upper room discourse. It's Jesus' longest teaching. And it's, it's his greatest teaching, his biggest teaching, greatest teaching by the greatest teacher that ever lived, John 13 to 17, profound. It's, a, it's him unveiling his heart for the church before he goes to the cross, his last words to his disciples. And he uses very similar language in John 15. He says, I am the vine. I'm the, actually, he says, I'm the true vine, right? Because there was a vine growing. The Pharisees were feeding something in the earth. A tree was growing. A root system was being developed by the propagation of a religious message. Legalism, self-righteousness, tradition, pretense, hypocrisy. We read it. We've gone through this for a few weeks in Matthew 23. Jesus exposes what they were all about. In John 15, he says, I am the true vine and you are the branches. And he says, if you abide in me, you will bear fruit that remains, that doesn't get cut down. <laughs> he says, I'll trim it so it grows unto better fruit, but it will never be chopped down because it's born of me. It's, it's attached to me. It's rooted in Christ. It it's, comes from faith and relationship and obedience that springs out of that faith and relationship. So uh, John 15 is about obedience. It's Jesus' words on true obedience. Not legalism, not law-based obedience, not fleshly striving, true relationship, love-based obedience, intimacy-based lifestyle from Jesus. So I just want to just throw that out there as an intro to look at what was said to the Pharisees And then to look at what was said to the disciples and there's similarities there. Thus, the reason we talked about a couple of weeks ago in Matthew 23, Jesus invites the disciples into his conversation about the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees because he wants us to hear it, not because we are it, but because we've been born again and we have a new source. We're attached to a new vine, the true vine, right? and we're not of that vine anymore. So this isn't some like harsh rebuke message, it's a it's a renewal of our mind message to understand we aren't that, we're not to be of that. And Jesus says, you're not of that. In John 15, he says, actually, you're already clean because of the word I spoke to you. You're clean because of the message you've believed. You're of me you're of the true vine you're my branches and i want you bearing fruit that remains so the other, this is the invitation here so let's turn to john 15 we're going to break down just the first 11 verses see where this goes so john chapter 15 yeah, and it's it's important you know there there's a lot of strong passages in Scripture, right? That we kind of just say, "Oh God, that one's sharp, and that one's scary." And sometimes it's important. The reason I'm laying this out here before I even talk is because we don't want to misunderstand Jesus's teaching on obedience. And if we have a Pharisee paradigm or even uh, places of that in our heart and mind, you can read John 15 in a wrong spirit. And He doesn't want. He wants us free as we read this in free due to reading it, to live it, to walk in it. A new and living way he's opened up for us. Not of rote, not of man's striving, man's doing, but a new and living way by the Spirit. So it's important to understand Matthew 3, Jesus wasn't speaking to his uh, disciples. I'm sorry, John. John was speaking to the Pharisees, those promoting religion. And in John 15, he speaks to his disciples using similar terms. So John 15, verse 1, we'll just read through this. Jesus again says, I am the true vine, I'm the authentic vine, the eternal vine, the lasting vine. And my father is the vine dresser. We've touched on this a little. God's the one keeping and tending the vine of his son and those attached to his son. You and I. He's tending us, the Father. Amazing. And right there in that one word, Abba, Father, is where it all begins. It's about relationship. It's about identity, sonship, that God's dealings with us on these matters is about his fatherhood being expressed to us. So if we read John 15 in the wrong spirit, it's, we'll be seeing God as like a Pharisee, even though we know he's not. We'll hear it that way. We'll hear it as law. Striving, shape up or ship out. Get your ducks in a row or God's not pleased with you. You know? And it's not the issue at all. God is fathering us. He's dressing the vine. He's dealing with us. As with sons, Hebrews 12. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean. And that word clean in Greek is also pruned. You're already pruned because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. That's the centerpiece of this message. Abide in me and I will abide in you. Because as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself James chapter (laughs) 1 the desire of man cannot accomplish anything as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine so neither can you unless you abide in me Wowzers I am the vine you are the branches He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Profound passages. He's just kind of repeating himself over and over, trying to make the point clear in these first five verses. That he's the true vine, we've been connected to him, and unless we abide in relationship with him, and he goes on to tell us, It's called abiding in his love. If we abide in Jesus, in the knowledge of his love for us, experiential knowledge, not doctrinal, like, oh, yes, God loves us. Here's 40 passages about it. Check. I can can memorize them all read a book about it and clap my hands at a message for it. He says, no. He says, don't do that. Connect to me. You are connected to me, but encounter my desire for you. Encounter the way I see you. Let it touch your heart. Let it touch your life. In the mundane, in the day-to-day as a lifestyle, abiding, which means remaining, it also means living in, to live in him, to abide with him, to walk with him in the cool of your day, to take seriously what he's saying here that, He has a deep love for you and he actually says it's the same love the Father has for me and I'm calling you to live your life in a knowledge of this love, the truth of this love that I have for you. And by the way, we all know that's the key to being free from all religion and tradition. No striving, no works of flesh, no condemnation, no legalism, no exhaustion. In terms of trying to please God or obey him this one issue you know we all know when his love encounters your heart touches your life gets into you like leaven it changes everything and it positions us for what obedience really is in God's eyes and obedience it's not law it's not a law of Commandments his commandments aren't a law of ordinances. His commandments are a law of love, relationship. His commandments are not burdensome to us. 1 John chapter 4, "In this is love." In this is love for God that we love God and we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. And the reason his commandments aren't burdensome cuz they're not a law of ordinances. It's not a checklist. It's a lifestyle, and if we abide in Him, in His love, this new and living way of the Spirit unfolds in us. It's not even the works of flesh. The flesh profits nothing, but the Spirit gives life, and as we abide in Him and encounter His love day by day, week by week, we all go through really dull and weak seasons over this issue of His love for us. I do. And then there are seasons where it's fiery, and it's like, You start speaking that love language again to Jesus, saying, God, make me lovesick for you. I don't want religion. I don't want to be bored. I don't want to question this thing. I want to be anchored, rooted in the knowledge of your love for me so that what springs from my life isn't legalism, religion, tradition, but what springs from my life is love-based obedience. What springs from my life is responsive in nature and not legalistic in nature. Responsive. And religion says, you know, shape up, get your ducks in a row, obey God, obey his commandments, read what the apostles taught, get your doctrine in order and go do it. Come on, get moving. That's, that's fleshly. It sounds good. But the basis of that is works of flesh. We, that, that's why we have to hear Jesus' teaching and conversation about the religious spirit because it's our nature to just go and do. Because we're weak, we're mortal. And this religious dynamic is so natural to flesh and blood. It's what he laid the axe to. <laughs> he says, man's own doing can't accomplish this thing called righteousness. Man's own doing, even if he reads the Bible, writes down all the steps in order, and starts putting his feet to it, says, he says, go for it, but you're going to find yourself exhausted, worn out, bored, and depressed. He says, I've got a new and living way, and unless you abide in my love, you'll never walk in it. You might look good for a season, Joseph. You might get those ducks in a row for a season. But the, all the ducks are going to be scattered again because of your own frustration with you because you can't do this thing called obedience in your own flesh. You've got to know me. You've got a fellowship with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I love this passage, verse 9, I believe. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship, intimacy, right? It's the same word for intimately knowing somebody, fellowship with Jesus. Mark's gospel says that Jesus chose 12 and appointed them, you know what it says? So that they might be with Him. I love that passage. It brings joy. And by the way, we're going to touch on joy in John 15, because obedience, true obedience in the new and living way is to produce joy. And a good indicator in my life has been, man, am I stern in this season? Is my face is my is my countenance just kind of stern, intense? And, and it's it's Cool to be intense for his purposes, but is it, is it intense in terms of just trying to make this thing work and pull this thing off without even realizing it just because it's my fleshly nature to try to do so? But joy is the fruit of this thing. But he says he appointed 12 that they might be with him. And we see the heart of his call. It's, it's 1 Corinthians 1. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship. And what those two passages say to me is this whole thing called Christianity, being born again, is about relationship, restoration, connection to the true vine and the vine dresser. Being born again, reattached to that which I fell from, right? And then being fathered by Him, letting Him dress my life, letting Him prune my life. And deal with me as with a son. It's about a relationship. Matthew chapter 3, also, the baptism of Jesus, the words of the Father. And those words, I lived many years when I first got saved. I lived about 10 years doubting those words. There was a shadow cast over those words in my life. It took years to come to the conclusion that what the Father spoke from heaven upon the firstborn, Christ is what he speaks over every one of us who are in him. And that before Jesus ever performed a miracle, we've heard this many times. I don't even know who came up with this statement first, but every preacher preaches this. Before Jesus ever did anything for God, he was God's. And God was his. That's all he had. He was the father's, and the father was his. There was a covenantal relationship. I and the father are one. And he alone of, him, of his place as a son before he did anything for God was pleasing to God. And Joseph, before you ever do anything for God, you're pleasing to God. And if you don't know it, you will continually throughout life, by default, hit these seasons where you stumble with legalism, striving, fleshly works, tradition, religion, whatever we want to call it, all of it. Did I have to be settled and anchored in this thing if I ever want to produce something that's born of God, that'll never be cut down because it's born of Him, and He says, what's born of me overcomes the world. If I ever want to bear fruit that remains in John 15, not temporary fruit, Right? We have so much temporary fruit in the American church, with all due respect. We have so much temporary, seasonal stuff that looks really good and doesn't last. Or many who hear a good message and get pumped up and then just drift. And there's no condemnation in that, but the drifting. And, and there's a promise here that if we learn this thing of abiding in His love get over all religion, tradition, legalism, and we just connect to his affections for us and how he sees us. That one truth has the authority and power in my life to set me free and to keep me from stumbling. The promise of bearing fruit that remains comes from this place. He says so. And I've been wrestling in some of this lately. I shared Thursday night at the House of Prayer. You know, it's, it's, it's America. We in, it's all over the world, but it is rampant in our nation what fruitfulness looks like. And there's so much confusion over this issue. And so many of us... Restlessly trying to bear fruit and wondering if our life's ever going to matter. And until it looks like that, man, my life's just a waste. And I'm falling short and I don't have much to offer. And I don't have much impact in this world. And Jesus says, you got it all wrong. And the wisdom of man has so crept into the gospel in this nation. It's a sad thing. I cry over that. I've cried over it in my own life in repentance. Saying, God, forgive me for having this grandiose idea of what it's supposed to look like. Jesus says, it's not supposed to look like anything, Joseph. That's law. It's religion. What do you mean, supposed? He says, the predominant and primary fruit I want you bearing is the fruit of my spirit in your life. End of story. And when you stand before me, it's not about numbers and how much money you did or didn't have and how many friends you had. He says, when you stand before me, it's how much of me you look like that matters to me. And if you've been faithful in obeying me, you're going to look like me. You're going to bear fruit, the fruit of my spirit, Galatians chapter 5. He says, that's what I'm after. He says, you could have that and nothing else, and it's enough for me, son. It's enough for me, and it's enough for him in your life. It's not grandiose. It's not... A light show. It's not a bunch of this and that and the other. And he'll say, job well done, my good and faithful servant, my good and faithful son, because you let me prune you. Because you took me serious about What I say fruitfulness is. And you weren't distracted or led astray. You kept first things first. Intimacy with me. Yeah. Verse 7. John 15 verse 7. If you abide in me. And here's where he kind of transitions us. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. He's transitioning us now. And my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. <laughs> he says, this glorifies the Father. This is why he trims your tree, Joseph. This is why as good as you look, he's not leaving you there. I've been, I've been hearing this lately. I've been saying this a lot lately. You know, we're, we're grateful he doesn't leave us where we were, but we're grateful he doesn't leave us where we are. And that every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it. (laughs) And the disinterested don't go there, right? If we're satisfied with just religion and just going with my own way, disinterested in fullness and maturity, we don't go there. But it's those who are his that say, trim me. (laughs) Go ahead, like. Cause me to increase for your glory. Cause me to grow and develop for your, for your glory, for your namesake, for the sake of the gospel and of the kingdom. Trim my tree. Prune my branches, Lord. It's the Father doing it. He could have said the Lord, the Holy One. He said Abba. He said my Abba's the vine dresser. And you're, my branches, his sons. And it's a good thing. It's a delightful thing. To him, when you just say yes, prune me. Chop off anything in my life that's not of you, not born of you, not produced by you. I don't want any, I, I don't want it. I'm saying to me, I, I don't want it. Over the last two years, I'm getting more and more desperate in this thing and something's happening. And I think countless of us, it's the same story. And God uses all things for good, right? And so he's used the covid dilemma for good in the midst of his sheep his people who hear his voice he's used it for good it's not moved his purpose off course or his timing it's not messed with anything God is doing he's the sovereign Lord he's the ruler of all creation the nations are a drop in the bucket his purposes stand firm throughout all generations his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and one which will endure forever. He's not moved. His kingdom hasn't slowed down. And I'm not, I'm not overlooking the grief and losses and sufferings that have been very real in this. It, it has been very real. But it's not Lord. And the effects of it aren't Lord. He's Lord. His purposes are enduring. He's, he's bringing something forth glorious in the church right now. It's amazing. I bet you could, if you're real honest and humble with yourself, he's doing something profound in you that he's never done because that's the hour we're living in. He's doing something no man can do. He's doing something maybe you've tried to do and failed every time, and all of a sudden he's bringing it to pass in your heart because he can and he will, and he's willing and able. Amazing. Amazing. So verse 7, he transitions us to his words abiding in us and us praying. And there's a prayer promise here, but the first promise, right, isn't, I'm sorry, the first type of fruit Jesus speaks of is, is due to abiding and bearing his image and likeness. Due to drawing your resources from the true vine, you're becoming like the vine even though you're a branch. And you're blending in with him. You're becoming more and more like him. The fruit of his spirit is coming out of your life that religion can't produce. Legalism can't bring forth. And then in verse 7, he says, if his words abide in us, we can ask whatever we wish and it will be done for us. And then he says, by this my father's glorified that you bear much fruit and that your fruit remains. And so here, there's a promise of external fruit. Here it is. It's called your prayer life. It's called if his word is abiding in us, and I'm talking to him about his word, his purposes, and I'm asking for things according to his word, his promise, his will, his plan. He says, those things will be done for my people. And maybe a generation will go or generations will go by laboring for something and not see it like Hebrews 11 saints. He said, but a generation will see it because I'm faithful and true and I've got the generations connected in my purpose. So don't lose heart because they all labored without seeing that fruit and we're living in it. And we're laboring for him to come again. We're laboring unto maturity that the church will be brought forth to maturity In love, by the way, true maturity is love, not ministry. It's not gifts, ministry, church building, church planting. Maturity is the heart of the church, loving God in fullness and loving the world as he loved them, loving one another as he loved us. It's love. It's the culminating reality in the church is God's love being perfected in us. But he promises fruitfulness due to praying if we can receive his word. If we can receive his teaching, the authority of his teaching, and give our life to it because of love. And it's knowing his love, again, that shifts us into obedience. Faith without works is dead. And true love in God will move me and grow me in obedience. It's not I sit here every week and I name it, claim it, and encounter it just a little and live this emotional life in God but never have a changed life. I'm the same Joseph year by year. And if that were true, you'd notice it. (laughs) And please tell me. He says, I don't want my people there. I want my people growing in love unto obedience, maturity. Verse 9, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. That, that one verse is, it's our whole life. The, mag, the magnitude of this verse, the weight of this verse, and our own weakness to look at something, a statement like this from Jesus' mouth, what it must have been like for these mortal men to hear this teaching, his final teaching, and to hear something like this said to them in their weakness, in all of their histories and stories of how they were brought up, and their experience with parents, siblings, the world, family, the brokenness in their life. And Jesus says, just as the Father has loved me, I have loved you, abide in my love. He just, he's nailing this thing so deep. He's not letting this issue go because he's about to go to the cross. And he knows what this generation is going to face, especially in about 70 years, right? Where judgment comes upon Jerusalem and the saints are going to live in persecution. He knows what's going to come upon these believers and he's trying to anchor them in his love. So that they know that their obedience matters even if they're faced with death. Even if their ministry doesn't look grandiose. Because of the time of history that's coming upon them, if they're scattered abroad and they're just meeting in small groups and surviving, but, but declaring their love for Jesus and preaching the gospel at the expense of their life, he says it matters. He says it's fruitful. It's not in vain. And I love you that they would be anchored in his love, that they wouldn't stumble when the trial comes upon Jerusalem, when judgment comes, when persecution comes which these things will be very real for the church in the last days he said so it's undeniable and every generation is required to be ready for those times right every generation was required this this word is relevant to every generation from Acts chapter 2 onward this New Testament it's it's relevant it matters We need to be prepared to live in those times, whether we live in them or not. Right? He's going to reward us accordingly. He's going to reward me accordingly. But we need to be fit to live in times like that. Absolutely. If you keep my commandments, here it is. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. You will will remain in intimacy with me out of obedience to me. And what Jesus is saying, he says, if there's a breakdown in obedience, there's a breakdown in intimacy. But if you stay connected, if you abide in the way I feel for you, and that's a lifestyle, he says, there'll be no breakdown. Because my commandments will not be burdensome to you because you'll see them for what they are. They aren't a law, they are an invitation. Into development. They're invitation into relationship. They're invitation into a new and living way that bears fruit and causes you to look more like me. So when you stand before me, I can give you a rich reward. That's serious. He says, if you keep my commandments and my word, right? If my word abides in you, if if my word finds a resting place in you and you can get into agreement with the teaching of me and the apostles, Joseph, if you can agree with it, if it has a place in you, if it's not a burden to you, son, if it's not offensive to you, blessed is he who is not offended at me. Right? Religious places in my heart are offended by the teaching. They are convicted by his message because religious places in my heart aren't of him. They're Antichrist. Yes, I'm a Christian, but there could be attitudes and mindsets that are Antichrist in nature. Thus, the reason for real repentance and abiding in his love, especially. Love deals with that stuff. When when I feel the the most troubling seasons of life has has always been a, a dropping a bomb of love on my heart. God's never dealt with me as a stern taskmaster, even when I saw him through that lens. He only proved me wrong. Time and time again, he only proved John 15's the way. He, that's all he ever did to me. I'm, I'm serious. And when I thought I was due condemnation for my lack of Christianity, all I found was love from man. That's all I ever found. I can remember two times in my life without knowing it where religion was just having its heyday in my heart with condemnation. I wasn't good enough. All I was was a failure. I was an unclean man. This is all you'll ever be, Joseph. What you were is what you are. It's the greatest deception amongst believers is that we don't understand what we are, that we're in a new vine, we're new creations. Old things passed away, new things come. Therefore there's no now, now, no condemnation in Christ. Because he expiated sin for me, I never could. He made me clean because of the word I believed, I become new and he doesn't condemn me. He prunes me and at times disciplines me. but it's all for my good, Hebrews 12 that I could share His holiness amazing I can remember two se- two moments in my life where I hit the greatest failure in my life I remember I was at a conference one time at the church we were going to and I was in so much condemnation and guilt I can't explain it to you with words it was suffocating I was I was in a dark place just before I moved back to Maine here ten years ago and I'm on my face at this conference Just bemoaning my condition, in 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 an honest way. Just God, I'm I'm a dead man. I'm as good as dead. I'll amount to nothing unless you restore my life. I'll never be anything to anyone. uh, Anything good to anyone? I'll be a lonely, depressed man if you don't raise me from the dead. That's where I was at, and I felt like everyone around me was just looking down on me. Just oh, Joseph, what a loss, you know, what a waste. You know, what a loser. Look at him. He's just gone so far off kilter. And I'm not, not like I was out on the street uh, being a crazy man. Just made some decisions, you know, uh, just failed with some immorality. And it just brought so much condemnation in my life. And I'm on my face just feeling that condemnation looming so dark, so heavy. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me one of the loudest times in my life. And he literally said this to me. I can say, yes, God spoke this to me. Most of the time, I just sense things from God. Uh, He spoke this. He said, Joseph, does anyone here condemn you? And it flashed in my mind the 10 years I lived in this community that no one ever condemned me and all they ever did was love me and everyone was always there for me and no one ever forsook me. And they only invited me into their homes and Invited me along the way of Christ to be restored and healed. They only labored for me, not against me. He says, Joseph, does anyone here condemn you? And I wept and I said, he made me say no to him to break this thing off. And I said no. And when I said no out loud, the Holy Spirit said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He took me to John chapter 8. I was in that thing by the Spirit. I'm telling you right now, set something free. I moved back to Maine. Not long after, lived with uh, Stu and Christy Greener, lived in their apartment downstairs for some years. And my first week in Bangor, Maine, from that moment, it was a Sunday morning. The crossing was then at Harlow Street, downtown Bangor. And that stuff just tried to start to loom again. I wasn't in sin. You know, I had repented, but God was breaking this thing off me is such a familiar spirit, came back to try to cat me. Um, again, I think I was on the floor, if I remember correctly, and Stu came up to me with Luke chapter 7 open, and, and he's, he said, I just feel I have a word from the Lord for you. And he's, he read Luke 7, if a son asks his father for a fish, will he give him a snake? And if he asks for bread, will he give him a stone? and it just broke something again it and those two moments were so pivotal to stay clear of religious condemnation and that's the only thing i can reap if i'm walking in the flesh if i'm living a legalistic christianity all i'm going to reap is condemnation cuz i'll never be good enough i'll never pull this thing off and that's just the point we're not to pull it off we're to abide and obey but in that order <laughs> in that order If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept. He uses himself and the Father as an example again. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. These things, verse 11, I have spoken to you. All these things. One reason, so that my joy may be in you. Irreligious joy. Peter calls it joy inexpressible and. Full of glory. <laughs> Jesus, the prophecy of the Messiah, you have anointed me with the oil of gladness above my fellows. And the, the great interpretation I love of that passage is that Jesus was the happiest man on earth, and his church will be. The happiest people the earth has ever seen. Even in the face of the last days. Reality, the church will be bright in the glory of God and happy in the face of persecution and it'll perplex the nations and it'll draw many to salvation. It'll draw many to salvation. These things I've spoken so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. End of story, kind of. Amen. Well, we'll end with John 15 there and I guess... uh, we could take a few minutes to respond. I think it would be good. I just feel grace. And, you know, some of these messages have been a little challenging and cutting. I know even in me where God's just kind of dealing with little residues here and there. And this is so good for us, so healthy. And, and just let it rest on you. Let, he, sa- he says, if my word abides in you, right, and, and if we can hear some of these things, if I can hear some of my own message, right, And let it abide in me. That's the issue. Is just letting it rest in me. Letting it scan my life. And sanctify my soul. But we want to be responsive to abide. I just want to pray into abiding. And uh, if you have to go. Bless you. We love you. Have a wonderful day. But I will just take a few minutes. I know I'm just going to stand before the Lord. Let him talk to you a few minutes. But. We want to respond today. We want to shake loose and just loosen ourselves from every yoke of slavery. Uh, Galatians chapter 5. Uh, stand firm and do not let yourself be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And he's talking about religious spirit. He's talking about legalism. He says, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Therefore, keep standing firm in your freedom from law. And don't be subject to it again. Be subject to my law of love. Be subject to me in obedience and intimacy. Peace be still. Yield in intimacy. Get this intimacy thing in order, in place. First things first. Talk to me about my love for you, he says. Recite these scriptures all alone in my presence and give me that five minutes to breathe on it and make information revelation. Intellect revelatory. Let me breathe on it. You got something to do? Okay. Let your grace... Fertilize our hearts, Lord. Let your spirit rest on our minds, our hearts, our lives. We thank you, Lord. Engulf every place of striving for condemnation or guilt or hesitation to abide because of the way we see ourselves. Lord, you say, there's no hesitation there's no condemnation so therefore let there be no hesitation to abide in the vine we have full access we have free access to the Father we have free access we have open-hearted unveiled reality in this covenant and we cannot shroud ourselves he's not angry with us he's not disappointed with us it's such a lie, he's delighting in us because he knows what delight produces in his people. He knows when we connect to his delight, when I feel his love for me and, and get this concept in my soul, he knows what it's gonna bring about, that it's gonna cause me to want to follow and obey him at every cost, even unto death. It's lovesickness that drove these saints unto death. It, it'll be love sickness that moves us to do the same. Lord, mature us in love. John 15. Mature us in Abba, Father, Lord Jesus Christ, love of God. Let it saturate our bones, our veins, our body, our ligaments, our spirit, our soul. We just soak it in, Lord, and thank you. Prepare us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So. Awesome.